0: me
2: si amna ana hasa hak si Ka dilai ye ik Thank
1: M in the A.M. That is the uh, amazing Etan Cats. Uh, Shuvu is title track to that CD. Habayt done by the Maccabees. You heard Yale, That was Pesachia off of Shattered Glass. Etan Cats in there as well with Elokas, Simcha Haliner with Ana Hashem and from Regesh Modaani opening things up as usual here on a Tuesday morning broadcast at J.M. in the A.M. It is April the fourteenth, day twenty-five in the month of Nissan. Good morning, everybody. The year five seven seven five. Tuffshin, I, and Hay. Today is day 10 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day 10. That's one week and three days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. A lot of people get a, uh, get a jolt of a reminder when we announce it here at JM&AM. So we'll make sure to announce it each morning that we're here. Remind everybody to count the uh, Omer. 59 degrees outside. I know. Good temperature. 59. Wow. Very relaxing out there. Although I hear it's about to rain. That's <laughs> what they say, rain this morning. Anyway, uh 59 with 76% humidity. Winds are west at 6 miles per hour. Light rain this morning with a high of 65. Then tonight, cloudy skies, low of 50. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high temperature of 70 degrees. They were talking about a cold front. I don't know where it is, but hey, not complaining at the moment. 61 degrees in Yerushalayim. We're at 59, believe it or not, here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. You think we've turned the corner when it comes to the... Uh, the weather you think this is it finally i have no idea let's see what it says here in terms of the uh 5 day forecast what can we anticipate uh so the 5 dayer says that um on thursday it'll be a high of 59 okay that's no that's no 70 like tomorrow uh thursday 59 but then again warming up Shabbat should be over 70 degrees in this area all right I ain't complaining. On the stream all day long at jmnam.org, we've announced our major contest. If if you've been paying attention to our social media sites, you've seen that we've announced our major contest that we uh, alluded to yesterday when Doug Sokloff joined us. Doug, of course, the legendary Doug from Dougies, has founded this uh, new concept in the world of kosher food called Kitchen Sink, spelled strangely, by the way. So if you're searching for it, search well. Uh, but it's Kitchen Sink, K-I-T-C-H-N-S-Y-N-C-H. Anyway, um, if you go ahead and email to us, webmaster at com, webmaster at com, or if you post on Twitter or tweet at us, at net, your favorite chametz or non-chametz uh, food picture, and I see a couple of listeners have already, <laughs> they've come up with some good ones, uh, we're going to make sure to spread that all over our social media this week. And the one that gets the most interaction, it's very simple. You win the grand prize. It's close to a $1,000 value from Kitchen Sink, which basically delivers everything to your home in a box that you need to uh, to cook dinner that week. That's basically how it works. And the information is on the web, kitchensink.com. Uh, we'll have a grand prize winner announced on Friday morning in the 8 o'clock hour. So, uh, get to it. Get those, uh, get in, get either email it to us webmaster at NahumSiegel.com or you can just tweet it at us at NahumSiegelNet. We'll take care of the rest. We'll put it on Instagram and Facebook and all these other places and we will uh, see which, which picture gets the most likes and interactions and retweets and all that stuff. And whichever photo, uh, becomes the most popular out there from all the ones we get this week, uh, that will be declared the winner. It's as simple as that. So get that to us today. This is how we uh, re-engage everybody on social media after the big Pesach break. A big thank you to Kitchen Sink and to Doug Sakloff, and we'll have a winner on Friday morning. Get those pictures in chametz or non chametz food. <laughs> Originally we thought it has to be chametz food because, you know, hey, you're being reunited with uh, and re-engaged with chametz this week. But I don't know. It doesn't take that long for people to re-engage. So any food item you want, make sure it's a good picture and to make sure it's something that might actually uh, get some social interaction out there. That will be the secret to victory in this case. It's JM and the AM. Brand new Y Studs album is, uh, has been released. We'll play some of that for you later on this morning here at JM and the AM. We'll also check in on the Ma'ar organization. They have their big, um, they have their big, uh, event this coming weekend. We'll talk about that. That's again going to be in MetLife Stadium. So we'll talk about that. Votora.org. We are told it's going into its final days. Uh, we'll explain what that is and how you can participate. Uh They have a big Shabbos coming up. Yom Hashoah programs is coming Thursday here at JM and And I want to thank Mayor Weingarten. We played his classic Yom Hashoah program uh, yesterday on the Israel Show right after JM and got tremendous reaction. I thank him for that. As we continue to provide great programming all through the day on our stream at jm and the am.org. day 10 in the counting of the omer if you haven't counted yet make sure to count sometime today more coming up on a tuesday here at jm and the AM. oh we're also going to check in with the author of uh, the covenant um where is it the the covenant kitchen uh the owners of the covenant winery on the west coast have written a uh, cookbook the covenant kitchen we'll talk about that as well they're going to get up very early even when you get up late uh, for JM in the A.M. If it's on the West Coast, it's very, very early. <laughs> so don't join us later on in the 8 o'clock hour coming up right here at JM in the A.M. Here's Benny Friedman.
2: we Shut
1: in the desert is better than anything you've got here. You see, we don't want to be here. There's so much that we can take.
3: Our people must go now into the sea. (laughs) Joseph came on down to Egypt. That is because he was sold. He saved all Egyptian people because of dreams he foretold. But now you forgot our people who saved you from famine's fate. Guess you just did not remember. who put food right
2: on your plate. Into the sea. Into the sea. Though you may beat us, you cannot defeat us Take it from me Our songs you threw into a brook Once past the sea, we off the hook You take the sorrows, we'll do the Horus Into the sea Into the sea Life will be sweet here. we will be freer From slavery Say no to pyramids today Let's go to the desert and let's pray We'll break your spirit You've got to fear it Into the sea The blood will be red The fish will be dead The frogs will be hopping all over your bed The lice and then beasts The pestilent feast Let our people go For us hurt your skin The
3: hail won't be in. The locust eat crops The darkness is in Your firstborn will die and Pharaoh
1: J.M. in the A.M. There we go. <laughs> uh, that's a, a selection simply entitled Instrumental off of the 8th Day Brooklyn CD. Before that, Schlockrock, Rock, a song that I played for those who were upset that I didn't get to it last Thursday. Arab Shvi Shal Pesach, Into the Sea, uh, with uh, Schlock Rock Lenny Solomon off of his greatest hits. Yehuda Green had Imesh Gachech. He heard the Imesh Gachech from the Chevra. Benny Friedman opened the set with Im Ain on Neely Melee Tuesday morning. It's the 10th day in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Morning light rain with a high of 65, then clouds tonight a low of 50. Tomorrow mostly sunny and 70 degrees. Yes, yes, yes. Finally, weather I like. 61 in Yerushalayim, 59 here in Jersey City. It's Tuesday. My name is Nahum Siegel, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the morning radio program heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmdm.org. Galitzal in the background, news from Israel coming up. What news story caught my eye this morning? Let's see. Oh yeah, apparently yesterday there was a major meeting with President Obama and some powerful Jewish organizational leaders. The president trying to get support for the landmark Iran deal. That's interesting. Read that in a moment. Um, don't forget the big contest is on, the social media contest. We try to get everyone re-engaged after Pesach into our social media. Either email webmaster at com or tweet at Net, your favorite Hametz or non-Hametz food picture. <laughs> the one that gets the most interaction after we post it all over the place and you retweeted and all that, is going to be the winner of the big Kitchen Sink Prize. Kitchen Sink delivers everything you need to make dinner straight to your home. The invention of Doug Sockloff and that is the grand prize
4: more details coming up galatel news
3: next <laughs> It was so, and there did
4: בإيران, מטינה תחנית לפיתרון המשבר בтайمان, כתבנו אמיר קידron.
3: במסיבת התנאים במדריד, יצחק סרחוט של יيران זריף תחנית בתר באש לביים לסיום הלחמה האזרחים בтайمان, במורדים שים בתמיחת יيران, הלחמים בשולトン אחודי בתמיחת סAUDIA. על פי תחנית الإيرנית, חלילה תחורה צפסקת אש כללית, אחר כך יוחנסו לтайمان ארגוני סיוע אומנותרים, אז יפתח שלב מסה ומתח בנפלגים משונים, תוקם ממשלת
4: הפרקליטות מבוקשות לקצור לפחות שבעה שנים מהאسر בפוא על ראש ירידה רamat gan לשעבר סבי בר קדמתנו שaron pulver
2: התביעה דורשת להשיחת בין שבע לתשע שנים מהאسر בפוא על bar ובקינו ורודה שוחה והמס בהנו רושה התוveyor tal farjon אמר בדיון מיבן כל פרשנות השחיתות יתכשנו ליצון סיבת חמורות כמו במיקרה הזה יתנהלות קצוות ומצפים לירוח במדינה אולם שלישי לא ביר מרכזית במדינה ישראל סנגורב של bar
3: יבקשו להתחשב ולא לגזור עליו עונש מעשר שירוצה מאחורי
4: הסורגים פרסום ראשון התפתחות בחקירת האקט שמנהל לכאורה הרב אהרון רמאטי במדרשת בער מריאם שבירושלים לחתותנו הדש טייפ נודעה שכמה נשים שברחו מהסמינר הגישו תלונות ראשונות למשטרה שפתחה בחקירה חברת הכנסת אליזה לוי מיש עתיד קרא בשיחה עם יעל דן לסגור מיד את הסמינר בירושלים
0: למה שלוש שנים לוקח לפתוח בחקירה בטוענה שלום מוגשות תלונות אני דורשת כרגע בשלב הזה לסגור לאלתר את המדרשה הזאת לא היה לדעת שבתחום עיריית ירושלים ראש העיר מרשש מדרשה כזאת תפעל בתוכו, זו לא פעם ראשונה
4: מורה לספורות כבין 40, תושב אזור מתה בן חשוד שביצע עשרות אווירות מין בתלמיד, נער בן 15. המעשים התגלו לאחר שפקידת סעד מסרה למשטרה מידע למצאותו של המורה בביתו של התלמיד בין סיבות
5: מחשידות.
1: a.m. in the A.M. That's Moshe Hecht would inspire me. Uh, before that hour, news from Israel conked out, and I know some of you think that because of the nature of the news story that was being reported at that time, and all of a sudden it got interrupted, that we interrupted it. No, it just, it happened to be that the uh, news from Israel, our news feed from Galitzal, conked out at that moment, so I apologize for that. Uh, there was one news items I mentioned earlier that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to mention. Um, Where are we here? According to the Jerusalem Post, during a private meeting at the White House Monday, U.S. President Barack Obama pleaded with Jewish groups to accept his framework deal with Iran, according to the political Internet publication The Hill. In multiple meetings with leaders of some of the largest Jewish organizations in America, the president made an emphatic and passionate case for his landmark deal with the Islamic Republic, according to eyewitnesses who participated in the meeting. Concerns were raised that there was a fair amount of back and forth. Excuse me. Concerns were raised and there was a fair amount of back and forth an official who requested to remain anonymous said of the meeting. There were some folks walking in who support and favor the deal, and there were some who have deep, deep concerns about the deal. I don't think anyone's fundamental view has changed by the conversation. The American Israel Public Affairs Committee, that's APAC, J Street, American Jewish Committee, ADL, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, and the Jewish Federations of North America were among those that attended the first meeting. Representatives from all three major Jewish movements, Orthodox Union, Conservative Rabbinical Assembly, and the Union of Reformed Judaism, also participated. Obama has fought hard to sway Jewish voices in favor of recent diplomatic initiatives with Tehran, but has faced ardent opposition from figures at home and abroad. During a recent visit to Panama City, where he took part in the hemisphere-wide America's Summit, Obama told journalists at a press conference that he's aware of reservations held by some of Washington's allies, including Prime Minister Netanyahu, and stated that he has yet to receive a viable replacement option. I've repeatedly asked, what's the alternative that you present that you think makes it less likely for Iran to get a nuclear weapon? I have yet to obtain a good answer on that. On the domestic front, the White House has come up against outspoken Republican figures such as Arizona Senator John McCain, who took a jab at Secretary John Kerry during a recent radio interview, suggesting that he took the Supreme Leader of Iran, Ayatollah Khamenei's word more seriously than the U.S.'s top diplomat. That's not how we're supposed to run foreign policy, regardless of who's president or secretary of state, Obama said, addressing the veteran senator's derision of one of the White House's keystone diplomatic efforts. Very interesting. So apparently, uh, apparently, a lot of people, or many members, I should say, of Jewish leadership, were at the White House yesterday for that meeting. Tuesday morning, it's day ten in the counting of the Omer. Thursday is going to be our Yom HaShoah program and a uh, a. Um, a greeting to those who are in Eastern Europe. March of the Living is taking place as we speak. It always leaves right after a Pesach. And the thousands of students and uh, supervisors, teachers, etc. are in Eastern Europe now for the March of the Living. It is uh, quite a program that has really been a life changer for many. So vote to those who are leading it this week. 59 degrees, morning light rain, and a high temperature of 65 uh, don't forget our big contest is on. We're trying to re-engage everybody on social media after the Pesach holiday. So a big thank you to our friend Doug Socklaw from Kitchen Sink. It's not spelled like that. It's spelled K-I-T-C-H-N-S-Y-N-C-H. Uh, it is the, uh, the first, as he explained to us yesterday, the first, uh, Kosher um, a meal delivery system where everything is shipped to you in a box and you literally on a daily basis can, uh, cook dinner for your family with everything that's in there. Anyway, um, the grand prize will be their, uh, will be their one month subscription, one month subscription for a family. All you have to do, all you have to do is uh, send in via email a picture of your favorite Chametz or non-Chametz food. Make it a good picture. You want it to be retweeted and you want a lot of social interaction because whichever uh, picture gets the most uh, social interaction on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, which we'll post. We'll post it everywhere. Uh, is going to be the winner on Friday morning. It's as simple as that. It's all a matter of volume. How many times things are mentioned, liked, retweeted, etc. So you could tweet it at us at net at net and you could email it webmaster at com. webmaster at com and we will uh, wish everybody good luck. And again, a big thank you. To Everybody at Kitchen Sink. Tuesday morning, JM in the AM as we continue here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. And around the world in the web, jmintheam.org. O <laughs> R G. Pretty amazing. That's the uh, uh, selection by Ari Goldwag off of his English album here at JM in the AM. Uh, before that, the song madua that's a song that Shlomo Yehuda Rechnitz wrote after the Sassoon uh, a tragedy in Brooklyn, New York. And um, a very powerful song. Ohad is on it. Itzik Dadia is on it. Really an amazing uh, selection. It's called Madua here at JM in the AM. 59 degrees, light rain with a high temperature of 65. We'll check out the latest from Ma'ar. Tom Steinberg is going to join us coming up here at JM and the AM. First, Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning.
3: We're going to be continuing with our series on Svira The Chinuch writes that one of the reasons for Svira Is to demonstrate our great desire and our thirst to receive the Torah. The question arises: Why did Bnei Israel have to wait fifty days before they could receive the Torah? We learn that when the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, they witnessed visions and revelations that even the greatest Navi, the greatest prophet, never saw. As Rashi states, Hashem revealed Himself to them, and they could point to Him with their finger. Similarly. The Medish comments, How great were the people of the generation who descended into the sea? They could point with their fingers to Hashem, declaring, Zekeli this is my Hashem, and I will build him a sanctuary. Moshe Rabbeinu himself pleaded, Show me your glory. Yet Hashem responded, You shall see my back, but my face may not be seen. Even the angels that carry the Kisei covered; do not see the image of Hashem. If so, it would seem that there could be no more appropriate time and place than at this moment, when the Jewish nation attained such an exalted level that they would be able to receive the Torah. Why was there a delay of 50 days before receiving the Torah, Matan Torah? Hagoyen Rav Chaim Shmuel Levitz notes that there is no doubt that the simplest person, the handmaiden in Kal Yisrael, saw a vision on the sea, that even the Novi the Prophet, never saw in his lifetime. Why don't we find then, that any members of that generation became Nevi'im in their own right? Why is it that no one else was elevated to such a prominent position to merit Nevo'ah? Reb Chaim continues to explain, that the Navim of Klal Yisrael attained their lofty level, with a lot of intense work and serious effort in the practice of avodah Hashem. They were able to transform their essence and achieve that elevated level of spiritual existence. However, those who stood at the edge of the Yamsuf after Yetzias Mitzrayim, they merited the revelation of Hashem in a different way. There wasn't any personal struggle, no exertion on their part that made them worthy of this vision. Such an occurrence, in of itself, does not modify the essence of the individual. In fact, the person may remain completely unchanged. For that reason, Hashem waited seven weeks before giving the Jewish nation the Torah. He wanted to allow B'nai Yisrael the needed time to change their essence so they could be appropriately prepared to sincerely accept the Torah. Sphira comes from the Loshon, the language of Sapir or Sapphire. These weeks are here for us to undergo a transformation, to enlighten our lives, and to shine with brilliance like the sapphire. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser
1: bringing you Morning physic. Have a nice day. Jam in the AM 733 on this Tuesday. It's day 10 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Well, Mo'ar is inspiring, educating, and empowering a new generation and doing so on many college campuses around the United States. In fact... As I'm looking at the list of college campuses that they're highlighting on their homepage, I believe it's an even longer list than the last time we spoke with Tom Steinberg. Tom Steinberg is chairman of the board of Ma'ar, and this coming Sunday, it's Ma'ar at MetLife. That's right. Met may have, MetLife rather, may have paid a lot of money for naming rights to the stadium in New Jersey, but this coming Sunday, it's going to be known as Ma'ar Stadium. Tom Steinberg, welcome back to JM and the AM.
6: Thank you for your welcome, Nahum. It's a pleasure to be on the show.
1: Am I right that the list of college campuses that Mo'ar is uh, is now on is longer than the last time we spoke?
6: If so, only slightly. We've been uh, stabilized at 21 campuses. Wow. Uh, originally, we started with three campuses 10 years ago, and this is our 10th anniversary that's coming up this week. And uh, we have ex- had explosive growth, and we're continually asked, to to go on additional campuses, that there at this point there are approximately 40 additional campuses that have requested Maor to bring its programming to those
1: universities. All right, and explain that programming. What is the mission of Maor?
6: Maor's mission is to engage students that are in university campuses, largely with limited backgrounds, and provide them an exposure to authentic Judaism in a way that is as sophisticated as if they would learn any other topics on campus. And this involves a lot of looking in the text themselves to show people that have never had the opportunity before to see what learning is all about, and most importantly, that the Torah provides information, guidance, and wisdom that is deep and insightful, that's relevant to their lives.
1: Essentially, you're reaching Jewish students, but in a, a very academic way. Can we put it that way?
6: Well, that's the first aspect of it. And in our introductory program, which is approximately 90 hours of programming in a semester, uh, that would be called the or Maimonides program, there are meetings every week in which there's about two and a half hours of meetings the first hour is taught by a more or rabbi on some basic aspect of Judaism, but the other hour plus is spent by a person who's not a rabbi, a lay leader, who could be somebody in the world of law or investments or art or music or law enforcement that comes in and explains how Judaism is relevant to their life and how Judaism gives guidance and meaning in a way that you don't have to be a rabbi, that you can apply those principles and improve your life.
1: And Ma'ar is all over the country, on college campuses all over the United States. Is it hard to find that second category of people in different cities around the U.S.?
6: No. Wonderfully, there are inspiring Jews all over this country, and they <laughs> come true. forward from an incredible diverse uh, set of backgrounds, One of the things that we do do, if you look at our list of campuses, Mm -hmm. is that we try to identify universities not only that have a lot of Jews, at least 1,500 Jews, that are top academic institutions, but also are located near strong Jewish communities. That way we can bring in lecturers, mentors, people that will have students for Shabbos, and really adopt these students and help them in their growth.
1: Yeah, you have a lot of Ivy League schools on these on this campus list, and as you just mentioned, the major Jewish communities, um, uh, the proximity to major Jewish communities—not just New York and New Jersey, but all around the country—places where you'd be able to to find nice Jewish communities near those campuses. Maar, this coming Sunday is doing something unique. Uh, They're going to be at MetLife Stadium. Uh, This is uh, an event that always um, uh, piques a lot of interest, especially among the youth, Tom Steinberg, and you're inviting families to come and enjoy it this coming Sunday.
6: Absolutely. We have a program for the entire family. First in the afternoon, starting at 2 o'clock, we have the field available with scrimmages and all sorts of contests and different football programs, and this, again, is for people of all ages We have people participating basically from the age of 3 to 83. (laughs) Um, We also will have on the – well, we'll get to that in a second. But then afterwards we have programs while there is a dinner for the adults. There is also a dinner for children where we will have the Maccabees performing. Nice. Uh, We'll have babysitters. We'll have all sorts of different programs and games. So that the children have a great time at the same time while the parents are having a gala dinner. In the Lexus Club,
1: is, is MetLife Stadium large enough to accommodate all this, Mr. Steinberg?
6: <laughs> well, we don't know. As it turns out, right now we still have about eighty-eight thousand seats available, but it's a long time until Sunday at two o'clock.
1: I mean, when you run an event, you run an event. You talk of you talk about your large venues. This is among the biggest in the world. Maar turns into uh, turns MetLife Stadium into Maar Stadium this Sunday. Everybody, it's a wonderful day on the field, dinner in the Lexus Club. You get a chance to support the work of. Now, you've announced that there will be a member of the New York Giants uh, there with you on Sunday.
6: Well, not only a member of the New York Giants, but the only member of the New York Giants who is Jewish. Wow. That's Jeffrey Schwartz. Nice. He is a starting offensive lineman for the New York Giants. He weighs in at about 340 pounds, <laughs> and he will be available um, not only to scrimmage with anybody who would like to do so, but as our own uh, only uh, Jewish representative on the New York Giants, it will be interesting also to hear whatever he has to say about Judaism and his impact or his work in the NFL. Oh,
1: i got to find out where he went to college. i got to see if there's, a ma'ar, uh, if there's a Ma'ar group on his campus.
6: I have a sneaking suspicion that they had a stronger football presence than <laughs> some of our
1: <laughs> there There is some of that around the country, huh? Yeah. <laughs> where, where the football program dwarfs even the Ma'ar presence. Uh, and if an 83-year-old, because he used that statistic earlier, if an 83-year-old wants to try to kick a field goal, they'll be able to do it this coming Sunday.
6: They can try. Um, last year we were disappointed that the field goal posts were brought down because there was a World Soccer Cup championship uh-huh. uh, beforehand. So we'll, we will see what happens, but there will be all sorts of activities on the field, and there should be something there for
1: everyone. Now that I'm sure it's always a great event. There's children's programming, as you heard. The awards dinner will take place toward the end of the event with plenty of items available in their live and silent auctions as well. You've been gathering up items for the auction, right?
6: That's correct. We have some very interesting things going on, uh, including a safari in Africa for uh, a family safari, Woo. as well as a, uh, a skiing uh, extravaganza for a week for a family uh, in uh, Vermont. And we'll also have opportunities for people. To connect with students and all sorts of uh, scholarships for students going to Israel, Poland, Eastern Europe, and other places that are sent there by
5: more.
1: Hey, you know, there are college programs where we, if we would visit on a Shabbos or maybe another time, you know, we'd see a program, we'd see a, uh, you know, some type of inspiring service, etc. What would we see if we came to Maar? You mentioned the the uh, influence, or I should say, the um, uh, the emphasis on academics and uh, the approach of uh, bringing in people to speak about how Judaism has made a positive impact in their lives even if they have, you know, lives that you would not normally associate uh, with Jewish observance. What would we see if we got to the campus and took a, a tour of the Ma'or activities?
6: Well, it's interesting because Ma'or has impact on the students at many different levels. If you came to the campus you would see students that are learning in classes and shirim and one on one learning. But if you followed those students, you'd find out that they end up in many, many different walks of life. First of all, there are advocacy programs in Israel, Mm. so that we send approximately 400 students a year to Israel and approximately 200 uh, students a year to Poland. But those graduates end up in places like in the IDF. They end up going to the Herzliya Interdisciplinarian Center and learn there. Many make Aliyah. We have hundreds of students every year, that after they graduate, they go to Israel for learning or for full-time employment. But they also end up in this country, ending up going into places like federation, Israeli bonds, um, working for all sorts of Jewish organizations where they bring a renewed love for Torah, and an understanding and appreciation for Judaism that they never had before.
1: So you're creating not only Jews, you're creating Jewish leadership, whether it be in their own communities or whether it be on a you know on a much larger scale.
6: Yeah. And then on a on a social level, it's very interesting, we were asked to conduct a study for to follow our students that get married. Now, Ma'or has had fifteen thousand alumni wow. over the last ten years. Fifteen thousand students have gone through Ma'or programming. Approximately 400 of those students have gotten married. Now, they're young, so that number will grow. Right. But it was fascinating to find out that 92.5% of those students married Jews. 2.5% hmm. married people that we don't know if they're Jewish or not. And another 5% did not marry Jews.
1: And that would not be the statistic if uh, Ma'ar did not exist, frankly. I mean, we know what's going on in college campuses, we know how people drift away, unfortunately. And without that influence, the number would not be as high as it is, and thank God it is that high. Uh, information about all this, you can go to the website, meor.org, M-E-O-R.org. That's M-E-O-R.org. On the website, you do have the testimonials from alumni, right? You have people who actually address uh, what their experience is like on the campus.
6: A hundred percent. And it turns out that this year, because it's our 10th anniversary, we will be acknowledging 10 graduates. Mm from all different university walks of life that have ended up everywhere, from moving to Israel to people that have uh, one student who is observant but is a fighter pilot in the U.S. Navy, um, people that have ended up teaching Judaism and who have gone on to become rabbis. And so there will be testimonials and people explaining and sharing what their experience with Moore has been.
1: Tom, what was your first campus?
6: Our first campus, we started with three campuses together, yeah, which were University of Maryland, University of Pennsylvania, and Binghamton.
1: And a lot of people would be shocked just what the Jewish population is on all those three campuses, All right?
6: those campuses have over 3,500 Jewish students. Wow. And we are working with the 4,000 students each year, which is approximately 1% of the entire Jewish population of 400,000 students on university campuses.
1: Amazing. And you're able to uh to staff every one of those campuses with liaisons with leaders with people who lead the program on the campus. Can't be an easy thing. I mentioned earlier I asked you about you know finding lay leaders who can come into the area and speak to the uh to the students on the campus, but you you need uh, uh you need those who are well versed in the academics of Judaism to reach these students as well, and every one of those campuses has a representative.
6: We need people that are inspired, that love Judaism, that know how to connect. Right. And uh, fortunately, the Jewish people are an amazing, amazing people, as you know by all the interviews that you have. (laughs) And there are so many wonderful people that have come forward. And I think it's not only inspiring for the students. it's It's inspiring for them to see the students grow.
1: By the way, I have good news for you. The weather forecast for Sunday is pretty nice. Terrific! We needed that. That's for sure. Uh, Mo'ar invites you to MetLife Stadium, or as we call it that one day, Mo'ar Stadium, for a wonderful day on the field, dinner in the Lexus Club, and an opportunity to support Mo'ar. You'll be able to meet NFL New York Giant player Jeffrey Schwartz. Uh, Enjoy field activities with friends and family. There will be special children's programming throughout the entire day and evening. There will be an awards dinner with entertainment. You heard the YU Maccabees will be part of that. Uh, Exciting items will be available in the live and silent auctions. Tom Steinberg um, um, uh, mentioned some of those earlier. It all starts at 2 o'clock with the family field day, 2 p.m. at MetLife Stadium and it's a great all-day affair. Information, go to the website, meor.org, M-E-O-R.org. You'll be able to spend the day with your family at MetLife Stadium. And Tom, I think you mentioned this when you were visiting us a couple of years ago. Um, you always hoped that this facility that you helped build, MetLife Stadium, would be used for uh, Torah and Jewish purposes. It must be an amazing dream come true for you to see people respond to this Maor event the way they have.
6: That's right. It's a dream come true. We spent 12 years developing the stadium, working with four New Jersey government administrations. Wow. And I felt like there must be something much more important in all this effort than just football
5: games.
6: (laughs) And it was such a privilege when the Siam Ashas was brought to Moor at MetLife. And I think that the Kiddush Hashem that was created was extraordinary. And I think your viewers may, uh, or listeners may appreciate that, Whenever there's a New York Giants game or a New York Jets game, it's a pretty rowdy crowd. It turns out that people are actually arrested at each game for disorderly contact and for all sorts of things. Right. And I have the good fortune of sitting in on the management meetings for Giants, uh, for MetLife Stadium, and the staff was universally amazed that after the CM Shots, not only was there not a single attendant, attendee that wasn't arrested, but everyone was polite.
1: Mm-hmm. They had
6: never experienced such a crowd in their life.
1: All right. We did well that night, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> we sure
5: did.
1: And they'll hope, I'm sure they'll see the same thing this Sunday with the Ma'ar crowd that'll be coming out. Baruch Hashem. Uh, Tom Steinberg, good luck. We're sure that the people out there will respond. This will be another great event. And the continued success with all the campuses and everything the Ma'ar is doing here for jury in the United States. Nahum, it's been a pleasure joining you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. 11 minutes before 8 o'clock. It's a Tuesday, day 10 in the counting of the Omer. Information about the event on Sunday. And it does look like good weather, by the way. High 60s, partly cloudy. That might be perfect, perfect football weather, everybody. <laughs> I don't know if the NFL players would like to play in that weather. Uh, but for us, it's perfect. Um, so you can participate. Go to m e o r dot org for all the information. This is JM in the AM.
2: yelol le le khot matomor 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 zey lol yelol le le khot le le khot matomor 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 zey tammar tammar matamar, lo
1: It's Yankee Daskal with that Acha Shoalti here at JM in the AM. Well, we've announced our big social media contest. You know what we wanted to do? We wanted to uh, re-engage everybody uh, in our social media after the big Pesach break. So uh, to the rescue come, <laughs> comes our friend Doug Sockloff, uh from Kitchen Sink. He's offered this prize that's worth uh, close to a $1,000. It is a um, one-month subscription for your family to the Kitchen Sink um uh, Meals. Basically, everything you need to prepare meals is uh, sent directly to you uh in a box. That's how it happens. And a free one-month subscription to all of this. I was just looking at some of the items they have here. Hanger steak with sour cherry sauce and creamed kale. Basil Thai beef over steamed white rice with cu- cu- quick cucumber salad. Lamb kafta with kohlrabi. Carpaccio and tahini sauce, meatballs with homemade sauce, spaghetti, garlic bread, and Caesar salad. I'm telling you, you get to cook like a gourmet. Anyway, uh, if you go to kitchensink.com, uh, um, they have all the information about this, and you can see what, what the value is for the one-month uh, subscription. Anyway, how do you win? We tried to make it as simple as possible. You want to uh, tweet at us or email us your favorite chametz or non chametz food picture? Simple as that. The one that gets the most interaction, the most uh, retweets, the most um, likes, all that stuff when we post it all over our social media is going to be the winner on Friday morning. It's as simple as that. So send your favorite food picture into us. Big thank you to KitchenSync, sink k i t c h n s y n c h dot and, uh, all you gotta do is, um, webmaster at NahumSiegel.com. That's how you email it to us. Webmaster at NahumSiegel.com. And on the, um, on the Twitter thing, it's at NahumSiegelNet. You wanna tweet it to at NahumSiegelNet. And, uh, we'll take care of the rest in terms of, uh, tossing it into all of our social media outlets. And again, whoever gets the most interaction by Friday morning is gonna be declared the winner. So, thank you, Doug, and everybody at Kitchen Sink for providing that wonderful prize. It should be very interesting. Oh, yeah, we discussed what happens if someone from around the world wins. We discussed all that. He's willing to give it as a, as a gift to somebody here in the, uh, in the U.S. So yeah, we got, we got all that covered. I'm sure there's something we haven't thought of, but that we have covered. Tenth day in the counting of the Omer, two minutes before eight o'clock with morning light rain and a high temperature of 65. Yesterday I got the most amazing email from my friend Glenn Richter, and I don't think he'll mind if I read it on the air. And after I read it on the air, we're going to play a specific song and it'll be obvious which one. Nachum, I realized this morning while listening to J.M. in the A.M. that the 50th anniversary of Shlomo Kalbach's introduction of Am Yisrael Chai slipped by on Pesach on April 4th. You may know that Shlomo composed the tune in response to a letter by Student Struggle for Soviet Jury founder Jacob Birnbaum of Blessed Memory to create a marching song for our large-scale S J Jericho March from the Soviet UN mission to the United Nations, April 4th, 1965. I vividly remember the moment that Shlomo taught us Am Yisrael Chai for the first time as thousands of us stood at Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza. Within a few minutes, we were singing so loudly that our voices reverberated off the walls of the surrounding buildings, cradling his portable reel-to-reel tape recorder, Zvi Allen Fishman captured the moment standing next to Shlomo. Here's a photo, and Glenn attaches a photo. I see Glenn right there. I see the gentleman with the uh, reel-to-reel recorder, and I see a very young Shlomo Kalbach. Unbelievable. We should post this, you know. We should really post this. Tzvi's Field Recording is archived at the S J Archives at Yeshiva University. Very soon, Am Yisrael Chai made its way into the USSR, where young Jews gathered in front of the few remaining synagogues and in underground groups would defiantly sing the tune. Today, 50 years later, it's omnipresent, and was even sung repeatedly last evening at our demonstration outside the Beacon Theater on Broadway to counter a nasty anti-Israel pro-BDS rally. Anyway, hope you can acknowledge on the air this landmark date of what's become the second National Jewish Anthem. Glenn, thank you so much. And that's how, we're, of course, we're going to begin the 8 o'clock hour at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial Broadcasting Live. From the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org.
3: Allah Khut katu
2: Ami Israel Khan,
3: I'm your sign.
1: First, of course, the version by Reb Shlomo Kalbach, and then the uh, cast of Pioneers for a Cure, who put out that uh, Am Yisrael Chai version years later. I want to thank Glenn Richter. He's the one who told us the story, which I just read moments ago from his email, about the anniversary of Am Yisrael Chai, the 50th anniversary, April the 4th, 1965. We're going to try to post this photo later on. Of a, there's a photo, an actual photo, with Shlomo Kalbach from that day teaching al Chai for the very first time. Pretty cool. Speaking of photos, by the way, don't forget we have a contest going on, our social media interaction contest with the grand prize from Kitchen Sink, a one month subscription, which is worth close to a thousand dollars. All you got to do is um, tweet at us or email us. Your favorite Hummits or non Hummits food item. <laughs> yeah, we've expanded it. It's not just Hummits anymore. Now it's non Hummits as well. Uh the picture that gets the most interaction, uh, retweets retweets, uh, social media stuff between um between uh, now and Friday morning is gonna be declared the winner. Simple as that. So tweet it to at Nahom net, at Email it webmaster at NahomSegl.com again, that's Webmaster. Well, an honor to welcome Rabbi Dr. Tzvi Hirsch Weinrib back to our airwaves. Uh, Some people don't realize that the Vote Torah Torah initiative is uh, coming to a conclusion soon. And some people still don't understand why it's so important to vote. So Rabbi Weinrib, who's amazing at explaining things, uh, is with us to do just that. Rabbi, Dr. Tzvi Hirsch Weinrib is Executive Vice President Emeritus of the Orthodox Union, joins us live via telephone. Rabbi Weinrib, welcome back to JM in the AM.
7: Thank you, Nachum. It's uh, it's good to be back, and I'm back for a very, very important cause.
1: I appreciate that. Tell everybody what it is.
7: Well, it's for the Vote Torah campaign, uh, which I must explain uh, to many of you who haven't yet voted.
1: Yeah, that's true.
7: Um Uh, I'm trying to make my explanation as brief and as clear as possible. There is a very large and important organization called the World Zionist Congress. Uh, The World Zionist Congress is an umbrella organization for many other large organizations, including the Jewish Agency, the Jewish National Fund, uh, and a variety of other major organizations. For our purposes as members of the Orthodox community, Orthodox Jewish community, these various groups through the World Jewish Congress distribute many hundreds of millions of dollars to various Jewish causes, almost all of them in the state of Israel. Uh, There are many, many of these causes which are Torah causes which are associated with any Torah observant Jew, especially those of us who in any way identify ourselves as religious Zionists. If you consider yourself a religious Zionist, which means you're religious, you're observant, A, and B, you believe firmly in the importance of the state of Israel, then you have the right and the obligation to vote in this election.
1: Essentially, those funds are distributed based on the vote to the different types of educational programs and the organizations that right. you described.
7: More votes that our slate gets, and our slate is called the Religious Zionist Slate Vote Torah. Right. And I'll give you information of how to access that voting site on the website, on their website. It's real. On the OU website.
1: It's real easy.
7: Very easy and. The more votes that we get, the more seats that we have on the various boards and committees, and the more money we can channel to Torah causes.
1: And by the way, just because the funds are going, you know, to Israel, it should not. It should number one, obviously, it should be of importance to everybody. Nonetheless, that that, that, that the money is being. Uh, distributed in Israel, but more, but even more importantly, it's money that directly affects us. For instance, any student out there or parent that's benefited from MASA, that's money that came from this.
7: Exactly. So it, it does direct us, us being those who live in the United States or in Canada or right. wherever your um, radio program reaches outside of Israel, in many ways, but especially because MASA, M-A-S-A, subsidizes... Orthodox students who attend yeshivot and seminaries in Israel.
1: Correct, and I, almost
7: I, I know no one whose child goes to Israel to any post high school program who doesn't benefit substantially uh, from the masa uh, funding.
1: Correct, and that's people of practically every financial background. In addition to that, if you if you like the shlichim that are in your community, that's funded by this as well.
7: Right. The uh, the various Torah Shlichim for various programs around the world uh, are also funded uh, through budgets that are ultimately based upon uh, the World Zionist Congress. Uh, Also, there are budgets for religious Zionist youth movements, uh, budgets which contribute to the infrastructure of Israeli communities in Gush Etzion and Yerushalayim, um, let me say, if you want to vote, and you really should vote, and it's easy to vote, the easiest thing to do is to vote. first go to the OU website. The OU website is ou.org slash V-O-T-E-T-O-R-A-H. There you'll get all the information you need. A. B. If you need more information or you want a personal contact, you can call Yehuda Friedman who works for the Synagogue Services Department of the Orthodox Union. You could reach him at 212-613-8225 or at freedmanye at OU.org. Um, to vote is very simple. You can find out the details again through OU.org slash torah, Or you can go directly to vote at... MyVoteOurIsrael, as if it's one word, MyVoteOurIsrael.com, and then slash home slash register. Just go to MyVoteOurIsrael.com. Voting will take you a moment or two, not more. When you vote, vote for number 10, the Religious Zionist Slate Vote Torah. It says very clearly, Religious Zionist Vote Torah. There are numerous other... Um, umbrella organizations who you could vote for, but they do not represent religious Zionism. They do not represent what we would consider religious causes. Uh, So you have an opportunity uh, to really um, impact uh, funding for many, many causes that are dear to our hearts. The deadline is April 30th, so we only really have barely two weeks to go.
1: All right, and this Shabbos has been designated by the OU as a vote, Torah Shabbos. They want this literally to turn into a vote Torah Shabbaton where rabbis and community leaders, synagogue presidents, etc. will be using some of the talking points you just mentioned. You really did explain it very well, I must say, (laughs) Uh, to, to encourage their membership to vote. And if they don't vote before this Shabbos, which you're encouraging them to do, to at least vote afterwards after they hear their own leaders discuss it.
7: Exactly. So we're encouraging all synagogues, especially OU synagogues, to designate this coming Shabbat Parsha Shemini, here in Chutz La'aretz, as Voting Awareness Shabbat. We're asking rabbis to speak about it. Uh, uh, Yehuda Friedman can provide you through the OU website um, with materials, with Divre Torah, with talking points, etc. And we're offering a special um, prize. We have a contest that we've created at the OU with a grand prize for a shul, is fifteen thousand dollars second prize, five thousand dollars, and third and fourth prize twenty five hundred dollars for your shul if you participate. So if you go to vote at ou org, you can enter your synagogue. If your synagogue has twenty five votes. Uh, members, 25 members of the synagogue vote in this election, and you're entitled. To, your synagogue is entitled to participate in this contest, and ultimately, your shul can win as much as fifteen thousand dollars. All
1: right. So, email information at votorah at ou dot org about that specifically.
7: Right. The email for the contest is right. votorah at ou dot org. The email for the website for more information is ou dot org at. Sorry, ou.org slash vote Torah. Right. And you can go directly to vote at myvoteourisrael. One word, myvoteourisrael.com. And you'll be able to vote quickly, simply, and hear your vote counts and can translate into many, many millions of dollars for important religious causes.
1: All right. Um, the Shabbaton, this Shabbos. VoteTorah.org, April 30th is the deadline everybody I mean we've been talking about this for weeks so I hope everybody takes the opportunity and votes and in all seriousness although we obviously have a uh, have a preference because of our background uh, the important thing is to participate in that old Jews uh, utilize this opportunity to have their voices heard. So please vote no matter who you're voting for. Uh, Rabbi Weinberg, I'm going to throw you a curveball if you don't mind, although with you uh, there's generally no curveballs because nothing ever seems to take you by surprise. You you mentioned a moment ago how we're one Parsha off, or at least you alluded to it, how we're going to reach Shemini this Shabbos in Israel. They're way past Shemini already, right?
7: Now, way past Shmini, but of course they, they lane Parsha Shmini this past Shabbos, right. which for us was Acheron Pesach. Well,
1: I, I say way past because that, that helps me with my agenda. I cannot believe, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, I cannot believe that in the hundreds of years of halachic responsa, and in the hundreds of years, if not thousands, of decisors analyzing situations like this, where we end up, you know, off a Parsha, From Israel. I cannot believe that there's never been the feeling that it's wrong, that there's something uncomfortable about the Jewish world not being united on the same parsha every week. And that nobody in all these years, and all these centuries, has addressed the issue to rectify a situation. For instance, I I have the perfect, I have the perfect, perfect remedy for all this. You ready? This past Shabbat, right? Achron Shal Pesach. At Mincha, I understand we have to read, you know, Achrinchel Pesach outside of Israel, you have to read the special Torah reading, I get that. I don't know, at, at Mincha time, everybody should have read Shemini. At, at the entire Parsha. Instead of just the, the first Aliyah. In other words, there should have been some accommodation made so that we enter the first Shabbos, and I know again in Israel they already had their first Shabbos, but you know what I mean. The first Shabbos after the of week together on the same parsha. Isn't it? Re- and it's not remarkable to me that no solution has been reached. What's remarkable to me is that most rabbis I ask have never come across this suggestion or question or topic after going through voluminous volumes of Torah responsa. What's your reaction to that?
7: Well, my reaction to this, that is, is not a halachic action, uh, reaction, but what you might call a religious Zionist reaction. You're correct, the all Jews should literally be on the same page right. in everything we do, certainly uh, in our Torah readings, the Kriyasa Torah on uh, each Shabbos. But, there's also another value here, and that is, that there, as a, speaking as a religious person, as a person who believes very much in religious Zionism, there is a great difference between those Jews who lived in the land, land of Israel today and those Jews who live in chutzla arts today. And that difference shows itself in various ways, including in our halachic expression in our observance of Yom Tov Shani, which in this case is what is what determined the fact that we who observe Yom Tavsheni in outside of Israel uh, did not lane Pasha Shemini this past Shabbos. And that really is just one more reason to accentuate the importance of living in Eretz Israel where we're doing things uh, in a, from a Torah perspective in a much more authentic way. When we lay this Pasha, when we here in New York and in the Galut uh, read, Uh, parshashmini this Shabbos, we should be conscious of the fact that, hey, we're not living in Israel and maybe we should. (laughs) That's how I look at it. By the way, of course, by the time we get to the end of Chumash Vayikra, it will all even out. uh, Bahar and Bechukotai will be, uh, split in such a way that it will all be reconciled.
1: Well, everybody has to be at the midbar before Shvu's.
7: Right, so exactly. So we're all in the same midbar, before Shvu's. <laughs> right. And of course by Shvu's it's again, uh, Vayichenshom, <laughs> Kish, Echod, Belev, Echod, we'll all be united again.
1: Very good, we're all in the same desert by the time Shvu's <laughs> arrives. I like right. that. Oh, uh, what can I tell you? Anyway, I thought I'd point that out, but I like I like your uh, I'd like your take on it. We have to remember the differences and uh, if 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 one is frustrated by the fact that they're not observing it hundred percent the way it should be, which is like you said, authentically well, the way it's get on a
7: plane, this Shabbos right. and then ask your rabbi in Israel what you're supposed to do about Parshishmini because right. if get to get there at Israel tomorrow they'll be landing Tazria Mitzorah, uh, this, this Shabbos, and you will have missed the Kriya for Pasha Shemini. Mm-hmm. But that you will ask your local rabbi in uh,
1: in I never understood that anyway, the, the ones who make special binyanim, because uh, isn't the Kriyasa Torah, isn't the reading of the Torah a chiyuv on the tzibor, or not really a, a chiyuv for the individual? Well, to...
7: as you know, there are various opinions about what to do in that situation, right. um, but if if you have that dilemma, uh, I guess I, I will take the position, my precedent for this, of course, is Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, who generally does not answer questions related to halachos. Of the land of Israel, he said, because he doesn't live in the land of Israel. That's for the Israeli Rabbah to uh, rule.
1: By the way, you know what was distressing, Rabbi Weinrib? You know what was distressing to me? That people, when I asked the following question to people, obviously in Chutz because it was on Yontif, they had no clue what the answer was. And the question was, when do they reach Shira Shirim in Israel? Because Yuntif in Israel, as you know, ended on Friday. And Shir traditionally is read on, like, Shabbos Cholomoyed or Ahren Chol Pesach, which is Shabbos. So people were guessing Seventh-day Pesach. I had people guessing, you know, uh, th- th- different days of Cholomoyed. Some even said maybe they don't read it at all. And, of course, the answer is they read it the first day of Yantif.
7: Yes. Uh, the custom in Israel is to read Shir the, f- the first day of Yontif. When, it it sh- way, when that's in the only the sh- Shabbos. In Israel, the, the custom is to recite the bracha right. of uh, Al-Mikra Megillah, on reading of Shira Shirim and to read it from, from a Megillah. Yeah. But we're wandering far, no from our topic today, which is the importance of voting, uh, in the elections, uh, vote Torah. Uh, from- go to o u dot org slash vote torah and do vote uh, and when you vote you'll be helping fund the various institutions in Eretz royal who already finished Pashasmini and will be reading Tazriya Matsora this show.
1: by the way have you I know we're drifting but I have an opportunity to speak to you I'm taking advantage Have you seen the Korin Ya Matsmut yet?
7: Yes, of course. I've had a slight role to play in that. And I, I want to uh, tell Yom you, As-Mut and Yom Rishulayam are coming up soon.
1: I read, I read robert Riskin's introduction over Yontif. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah, brilliant. the
7: introduction is brilliant. There are many essays, uh, important essays in that volume, and um, whatever your specific custom is and how you religiously celebrate Yom HaTzma'ut, this mahtzah is indispensable and very, very inspiring, not just for the Tfilot, That's but right. for the sermons, the vretora, essays, historical uh, information uh, that you can find in that mahtzah, uh, and for that, you can get that to, through Koren uh, Publication.
1: Yeah, anybody who's uh, who doesn't even use it for the liturgies, you say there's 250 pages of essays that are unbelievable. So, yeah. All right, Rabbi Weiner, yeah, exactly. Votorah.org, Votorah.org, um, OU.org slash Votorah. You're encouraging everybody to take care of this ASAP and to enjoy the Votora Shabbatones in their community. And this has to be done by the 30th of April. Exactly. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Right. Dr. Tfihir Schweinrub is of course the Executive Vice President Emeritus of the Orthodox Union. Everyone should take advantage and vote ASAP. This is JM in the AM. <laughs>
2: Yada, yeah, nah, da, nah, da, nah, da, nah, da, nah, da, nah. da. Hamalach hadoy loisim, Hamalach hadoy
0: loisim mikolro. Ki varei Ches
2: haniharim, vikareim vohem Hago evoy si we call it for we shame my voice Be careful. shine. shame, my body shine.
1: with Cole Zimra in Hamalach. Tuesday morning on this 10th day in the counting of the Omer. 10th day in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot the count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Don't forget about our contest. Um, it's a social media interaction contest. Very simple. Tweet at us or email us your favorite picture of a, a chametz or non chametz food. Uh, you could tweet at Nahum Siegel Net. You could email webmaster at NahumSiegel.com. Again, tweet at NachumSiegelNet, webmaster at com for email. And um, wh- whichever picture gets the most interaction among all our social media groups, we're going to put it on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Uh, between now and Friday morning, wins that uh, amazing one-month subscription to Kitchen Sink. That is the um, the uh, where the the box shows up at your home, as Doug Sokloff described yesterday. The box shows up at your home, and you have everything you need to cook dinner. Uh, for your family, simple as that. And um, that's a one-month subscription worth close to one thousand dollars. And I thank Kitchen Sink K I T C H N S Y N C H dot com for that. And um, so get the get us those photos ASAP so you can be part of it. Uh, the PTA of MTJ on the Lower East Side of Manhattan tomorrow night uh, presents Rabbi Hanukh Teller on the important topic of honorable mention, instilling good character in our children. That's happening tomorrow night at 745. Information contact MTJ, Masifta Tiferis Yerushalayim on the Lower East Side. Yom HaShoah program Wednesday evening at the Unusual of Kew Gardens Hills on 150th Street. Jeff Weisenfeld on the topic of fighting anti-Semitism. What are we not doing Information, contact the young Israel of Kew Gardens Hills. That happens on Wednesday evening. Yom HaShoah presentation of Witness Theater. This coming Wednesday night, tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. at the Yeshiva Flapbush Joel Braverman High School at 1609 Avenue J. Uh, Witness Theater was conceived by Erit and Ezra Dagan, developed by JDC, Eshel, in Israel, brought to New York in 2012. And this year it's a collaboration of Self-Help, UJA Federation, and Yeshiva Flapbush Joel Braverman High School. Witness Theater, the Eve of Yom HaShoah, uh, at the Yeshiva of Flatbush, tomorrow night at 7 p.m., 1609 Avenue J in Brooklyn, New York. You're all invited to attend. Um Keynote speaker for the 72nd Annual Holocaust Commemoration of the Jewish Federation of North Jersey this Thursday at Temple Beth Rishon is Dr. Rachel Yehuda, Director of Traumatic Stress Studies, Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Her topic is how the trauma of the Holocaust is genetically transmitted from survivors to subsequent generations. That's her topic on Thursday, and we will speak with her tomorrow morning right here at JM in the AM. So a lot coming up. And utilize our community calendar online. If you go to jm.org, jm click on Community Calendar, utilize our community calendar, post your events, and to see the events. Well, all the way from Los Angeles, California, I don't know if it's Los Angeles, but all the way from California, uh, Jeff Morgan is with us. Jeff and Jody Morgan are authors of the brand-new cookbook entitled The Covenant Kitchen, Food and Wine for the New Jewish Table. Chef Jeff Morgan, welcome to JM and the AM.
8: Malcolm, thank you for having me on board. And uh, it's great to be in New York while I'm in California. Actually, <laughs> I'm in Northern California. I'm uh, yeah, in sh- California.
1: I should have guessed a wine connoisseur ain't going to be in L.A. You're going to be in the Northern California region. So you, you guys actually own your own winery, correct?
8: Yes, we um, own the, I think we own what may be the only functioning urban kosher winery in America uh, right now functional and uh, right in downtown Berkeley which is across the bay from San
1: Francisco. And that's what makes it urban. it's literally in an urban area it looks urban and, and, and yeah
8: it's in a it's definitely in an industrial zone that's actually fast becoming a food and wine and actually brewery zone as well. there are lots of restaurants and some new uh, new breweries sprouting up on the corner. Uh, there are eight, actually 18 different wineries in uh, in the area, but only one of them is
1: kosher. That's ours. It's Covenant. I assume your grapes are not grown in urban Berkeley. Uh,
8: you, you assume right. Um, <laughs> actually, um, my my partner, my business partner Leslie Rudd, has a beautiful vineyard and winery uh, up in the Napa Valley.
1: There we and, go.
8: And uh, Leslie and I started Covenant back in 2003 um his wines are not kosher although he's a nice jewish boy from wichita kansas but uh he he dared me to make uh what he thought would be hopefully one of the greatest kosher wines in the world with some of his great grapes and i said okay i think i can do this and so that's how we got started
1: so covenant has had great success so far
8: um well we're still standing after 12 years i would say that's For a a new winery, that that in itself is something to be uh, proud of. But, yes, I think we've done quite well. Um, We started with 500 cases of of Cabernet, and, uh, you know, it cost $90 a a bottle, and they said it couldn't be done. Who's going to buy a a $90 bottle of kosher wine? And, uh, in fact, uh, we sell out every year, and now we're up to 6,000 cases.
1: Wow, uh, Jeff Morgan is with us live from uh, California. Um, it, it, it's an unbelievable phenomenon this whole kosher wine explosion, and uh, and, and you're right, ninety dollar bottle. It, it's available everywhere. If someone walks into a retail outlet in this area, they're going to find it.
8: Certainly in New York, uh, that's uh, I would say New York and New Jersey um, are two best markets in the whole world. But you can um, you can also find Covenant in uh, 20 states around uh, the U.S. Toronto is a big market for us. Obviously, uh, Israel, we're sold in in Israel, and uh, London and Paris, they're drinking Covenant. It's amazing. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm constantly astounded by when I travel around the world to walk into wine shops, uh, uh, kosher and non-kosher, and see our our wine on on shelves.
1: And are people similar to the way your partner originally was, that kosher wine would not have the serious uh, reaction among connoisseurs that, in fact, it does enjoy now?
8: Well, you know, Malcolm, you mentioned uh, the, the, the renaissance in kosher wine that uh, we're all seeing now, and it wasn't so obvious maybe 15 years ago or 20 years ago, but right. certainly in the last decade um, there has been uh, an enormous growth of, of high-quality kosher wine uh, coming out of uh, Israel and the United States and, and, and Europe as well. So um, definitely I don't think we're such an anomaly anymore as we were when we started, and that's a good thing.
1: The book is called The Covenant Kitchen, Food and Wine for the New Jewish Table. Um, uh, Tell us why you wrote the book.
8: Well, the book is basically uh, two things. It is uh, a kosher cookbook that integrates food and wine into our daily diet. Uh, It's kind of a reflection of of my wife Jody's and my wine country lifestyle. Um, We're in Berkeley now, but we were in the Napa Valley for the last 15 years, and we just uh, we just built a new winery in the last year and, and moved down here, and um, Berkeley's only about thirty five miles away from Napa Valley, so it's it's not like everything has changed. Um, and so, it you know, winemakers we make wine every day. We have wine with we even have wine with lunch. We have wine with lunch. <laughs> we have wine with dinner. So it's not just about Shabbat. It's about it's about a lifestyle, and it's about enjoying a glass of wine with whatever might be. Uh, on our
1: plate, you'll sit down. They, you'll sit down to watch a major league baseball game and have a little glass of wine at your side.
8: Yeah, I mean, I, I would do that. I, I I don't even need the baseball game, <laughs> although. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, we would do that. I mean, um, but I think um, what uh, our listeners might be even more interested in is, is the fact that this book is, is more than a cookbook. It, it tells the story of, of how kosher wine. Um, changed my life uh, or my family's life, and, and brought us back to uh, our, our Jewish roots.
1: Yeah, this is very autobiographical, and as I go through the book, it, it's hard to convey this on the radio because so much of it is the is the photos and the format that you used. But it's obvious this is not your regular kosher cookbook.
8: Uh, no, it's it's it really it tells a story. I mean, this is uh, our eighth book, our eighth cookbook, but it's our first kosher cookbook, and the others weren't kosher because. Uh, in the past, we we weren't so kosher. My wife and I are. We're, we were brought up in New York. I would say we were lox and bagels Jews. In other words, uh, we, no, we had lox and bagels
1: on Sunday. Yeah, we know what that is. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah,
8: and um, and we.
1: You know, I mean, we
8: were brought up in completely secular families, so loving families, but they weren't particularly interested in Yiddishkeit. And um, fast forward, um, I was making wine in Long Island. Um, in the late 80s, and I got a, started writing about wine, and I got an assignment from a magazine called The Wine Spectator to write about kosher wine.
1: That's how you, Passover. that's how you drifted into this end of the community? Yeah, out of the blue. Oh I mean, my God. You, maybe, you maybe owe, you owe wine, s- maybe
8: everything's beshirt. I don't know.
1: You owe Wine Spectator your, your religious observance? I guess so. That's I guess unbelievable. That's pretty wild.
2: Unbelievable.
8: I mean, they called me. I had just started writing, and I'd gotten a few pieces, and uh, I got a piece in the New York Times. I got a piece here and there on wine, and they said, oh, uh, Morgan, we, we've seen your byline, and we know you used to make you know wine in, in Long Island. Would you like to write about kosher wine for Passover? <laughs> this is in 1992, and I said, are you kidding? I I don't know anything about kosher wine. <laughs> I wasn't even bar mitzvahed, which is true. I, I have been since, but by the way.
1: Mazel stuff. <laughs> um, I'm sure they served a good it, bottle it, it of wine.
8: Better late than never. Right? <laughs> there you go. So, so, um, so I said, I I, I I, don't know what to do. I And he said, well, look, you're, you're in or you're out. Take it, take it or leave it. You want to ride for the Wine Spectator? And I said, okay, I'll take it. So I called the Herzog family. I called Nathan Herzog specifically, one of the sure. the, the the top guys at the, at Herzog Wines, um in Bayonne, New Jersey and I said, uh, I need a little help. <laughs> Can you teach me something about kosher wine? And the Herzogs were very gracious about it and they uh they, they taught me what I could learn in twenty four hours and uh I apparently I wrote a piece that the Wine Spectator Liked and they hired me to write more and more stories, not about kosher wine, about every everything. Right. everything. And um, eventually they hired me to be a full-time West Coast editor. They moved me to California in 1995. I left them in 2000. I moved to Napa. I wanted to make more wine, not kosher wine. And uh, two years after I moved to Napa, as I said, back in 2002, um, I, uh, I, I knew that there was a fine Israeli winemaker pouring his wines in San Francisco. We invited him to a tasting. Leslie Rudd, my business partner, was there. And we tasted his wine from Castel Winery in in, in the Judean Hills. Yeah,
1: we know Castel. And,
8: and it was delicious. Mm. And Leslie said, "Wow, this is better than the Concord grape wine I used to drink at <laughs> Passover."
5: <laughs>
8: and I said, and "By this time, I knew a little bit about kosher wine." I said, "And I knew that basically, you could make kosher wine just like you make non-kosher wine. It's it's not about a wine making method. It's about who touches the wine. I right. needed some shomer shabbat hands, right. so if I could get good grapes." make good kosher wine. And that's when I said, let's try to make the greatest kosher wine from, from your Cabernet grapes. And so that's how we started. And um, I didn't realize that uh, lo and behold, I would be, I, I actually needed Shomer Shabbat hands. I called the Herzog family again in need. And uh, I started making wine at the Herzog Winery down in Southern California. Right. Oxnard. And, uh, you know, down there, well, it wasn't, it was before Oxnard. It was in uh, a little town called Santa Maria, actually. Mm. But um, And I got to know the Herzogs better, and I got to know the Shomer Shabbat winemakers down there. And that's what got me started and got my family started in uh, the pursuit of maybe knowing a little bit more about what it means to be Jewish.
1: The uh, book is called The Covenant Kitchen, Food and Wine for the New Jewish Table. Jeff and Jody Morgan, Where uh, I want to make sure we get everything in here. Um, uh, what does the new Jewish table mean?
8: Well, uh, as I said... You know, Jody and I didn't grow up with our, our bubby making us uh, you know traditional dishes from Eastern Europe. Right. Um, we grew up eating whatever every other American eats. I don't even know what that was. But, um, so what happened was that uh, before I got into kosher wine making, I lived in France for about 10 years. I was a musician and uh, I was a saxophone player, actually. and I got uh, used to eating French food <laughs> and drinking French wine, and I thought, this is some pretty good stuff. Uh, and we lived in the south of France, actually, so um, it was very Mediterranean. And um, basically, we developed a Mediterranean diet that is built around olive oil and um, really fresh vegetables and, and fish. And there's some meat, but it's uh, – and, of course, we had this wine element in our daily diet. And um, coming back to California, I found that uh, northern California was a lot like uh, southern France, and now I've learned it's a lot like Israel as well. And um, we just kind of incorporated, I would call, a, a more modern approach to uh, dining, eating well. I wouldn't call it necessarily fine dining, but it's it's good dining. And, uh, and uh, we incorporated our wine lifestyle into the recipes, into the way we enjoy them and we share this with our friends from all over the world to come visit us and uh,
1: and you covered everything i mean every aspect of the meal from salads soups pastas even latkes are in there fish and,
8: and latkes are really good with wine <laughs> as well but you know a lot of people say to me well i don't know anything about wine i, I don't really like wine so much i don't know how to i don't know what wine to buy and so the book really deals a lot with food and wine pairing and what wine to choose, and it's really not so difficult. Right. A... I mean, basically, we spell it out in the book in just a few pages. That's all you need. And um, essentially what I say is that if you can identify the style of what you're eating on your plate, you can identify the style of what you want to drink
5: well, in your glass. You do...
8: A big, rich dish would probably welcome a big, rich wine, a red wine, and a light fresh salad or, or, or fish dish might inspire you to drink a lighter-style white wine. Right. And we go into a little bit more detail, but it's
1: essentially as simple as that. For instance, shakshuka, which you know is one of the most popular items out there now, especially in Israel, uh, yeah. the, the baked eggs with tomato sauce, as you subtitle it. Uh, you claim that a sauvignon blanc or a chardonnay would go very well with it.
8: Yeah, well, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that <laughs> sauvignon blanc... Uh, has crisp acidity and soda tomatoes, and so they, they could pair very well. But a Chardonnay has a little more richness, good acidity as well, is refreshing, and that might also, um, cut the, the tomatoes and the eggs. Uh, but you could also have a, a lighter-styled red wine. It's not sort of cut and dry. It's not only one wine works with one dish. And I there like, there are many possibilities.
1: I like how the latkes get paired with a Gewurztraminer, which is one of my favorites out there. Well, you
8: know, you don't have to wait for uh, for December right. to enjoy this. You can make our lunches any time, and they're really quite easy to but make. But this is so. one of the
1: – look, it's one of the f- frustrating things for people, especially those not that – like myself, we're not that familiar with uh – uh, with the uh, different types of wine i 'm becoming uh, more and more familiar as I speak to people like you, but it 's one of the frustrating things you don 't know what to pair and what goes et etc and you you have outlined it it 's not just the uh, the list of suggestions you give, but with every recipe you discuss you know possibilities of wine and, and there are more possibilities than one thinks you think that it has to be you know a certain type but you you give red uh, recommendations and white recommendations for the same dish, so you you 're not, you're not uh,
8: Exactly. I, I don't. I don't believe that you need to be rigidly. Uh, you, you don't need to rigidly adhere to any right. one wine or wine color or one style to enjoy your meal. I mean, wine and food—they're uh, versatile, and you can go in many different directions.
1: Hey, Rabbi Gennak of the OU actually wrote the foreword to the book.
8: He did, didn't he? That's cool. I was. I was very impressed when he offered to do that. Very nice. I was amazed, and then when he wrote it, oh my goodness, it was just a. He wrote a beautiful... Who cares about the book? You should read Rabbi Gamax forward. It's, 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 it's quite
1: lovely. I agree. He, he always has great things to write. Uh, the book is available at OU Press. You can go to OUPress.org. It's called The Covenant Kitchen, Food and Wine for the New Jewish Table. It's Jeff and Jody Morgan, and uh, they're out there in the Berkeley area producing great wines. And uh, here in this book, they have a whole bunch of uh, of great suggestions in terms of recipes, including a holiday menu section where you literally recommend a Yum Kipper breakfast in addition to all the other traditional holidays. I didn't even realize the night after Yum Kipper is becoming a holiday now, Jeff.
8: Well, you know, why not? I mean, there's a lot to celebrate in life.
1: That's true. <laughs> why know? not is right. <laughs> Uh, simple as that.
8: I, I want to just—I just, just want to remind your your listeners that if they get the book, they really have to go to the cowboy chow, because
1: where is in it? California,
8: only in the West can you do a cowboy chow. Where is it? What, it what
1: page am I looking at here? What section am I in? Cowboy uh, chow well, meat meat,
8: section, meat and uh, poultry I, is one fifty nine. Hang on a second. Let's see here. Cowboy chow. Hang on a second.
1: Hang on but, a second.
8: uh here it is. It's um, it's on page one eighty three.
1: Okay. Let's see what his secret ingredient. We've had chefs on this show whose secret ingredients have ranged from Coca Cola to uh, to the hottest hot sauce out there. Let's yeah,
8: see. well, we our secret ingredient is a good glass of wine, especially red wine. With your cowboy show,
1: you actually put three cups of dry red wine in your chalant?
8: Yeah, I, I cook a lot with wine, not the hundred dollar wine.
1: No, that <laughs> I, I, cook I understand.
8: less expensive wine,
5: Boy. but
8: uh, sure, because wine has natural acidity. That tenderizes meat. And so it's fabulous. Now, once it cooks, there's no alcohol in by the time the cholin's ready. So, um, you're yeah. not going to be uh, eating wine with your glass of wine on the side.
1: And on page 185, you have a how to prepare cholin for eating on Shabbat, which is a, like I say, you know, for people who are not familiar with this stuff, it's a fantastic primer. Um, yeah,
8: well, that, I got a lot of help from the OU. I have to admit, uh, they they vetted the book to make sure it was, you know, for Kashrut.
1: Yeah. OU uh, Press, Press dot org has it. The Covenant Kitchen, written by Jeff and Jody Morgan. Can people visit you out there? There's not much to see if a tourist walks by your facility.
8: Uh, no, it's actually a beautiful winery with uh, a big Covenant Winery uh, on the on the on the wall. You can see it from two blocks away, and um, across the street they're building an organic. Uh, Jewish farm and cultural center called Urban Adama. Wow. So it's going to be a nice little uh, yiddish uh neighborhood very soon. But yes, people can come visit us. Uh, we're open by appointment only so they can um, visit our website www.covenantwines.com and uh, email us and uh, we would love to see any visitors to the West Coast and give them a tour uh, of our winery and the tasting as well.
1: Jeff, good luck with the book. Thank you,
8: Malcolm. uh, Thank you for having me on the
1: show. A pleasure. Thanks for waking up early. The Covenant Kitchen, food and wine for the New Jewish Table. Jeff and Jody Morgan, OUPress.org has it. Tuesday morning on this 10th day in the counting of the Omer, brand new Y Studs at JM in the AM. Sam and the AM, brand new from the Y Studs. Don't forget to get us your photos uh, to be part of that social media contest with our friends at Kitchen Sink. You're going a big prize, one month subscription worth close to $1,000. Get us those photos of your favorite food. Simple as that as we try to re-engage everybody. On social media, after the big Pesach holiday, it could be a chametz item, it could be a non chametz item. Tweet them to at That's at NahumSigelNet. Email webmaster at NahumSigel.com, webmaster at NahumSigel.com. And the winner will be the uh, picture that uh, gets the most interaction, retweets, likes, all that stuff that we put all over social media through today. I want to thank Danny Goldberg, very, very helpful with today's contest. Uh, the winner will be declared in the 8 o'clock hour this coming Friday morning. JM in the AM with Yaakov Shweki.
0: The Din, Kulotay eladin, Vikola
2: Abu Din, Mechabsimot Nechama, Kulan Sheladmaot, Kulan Shelashmot, Vikola Imaot, Kalochotta Bracha. The charm and the head she ran out. The coals, the are
1: Achena Bistrel and Machema, brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Wraps up a great Tuesday here at JM. My thanks to my wine rib, my thanks to Tom Steinberg, my thanks to um, Jeff Morgan. A great morning. Don't forget to tweet out those pictures to us. You could win the big kitchen sink prize at NachumSiegelNet. Email webmaster at Your favorite chametz or non chametz food? That's what we've chosen, to uh, get people to re-engage with us on social media after the big Pesach holiday. Tomorrow morning we're back. We'll start at 6 a.m. Great programming on our stream all day long, including Mayor Fertig sitting in next in the big Jewish reaction show. And uh, he'll sit in for Ellie Hagler that comes up next on jmnam.org, so make sure to stay tuned in. Have a fabulous Tuesday. Till tomorrow, i Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.